What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm joined with Nick. What's going on, guys? And also Max. Hello, everybody. Okay, so we're going to start with hockey today because Max has to go after that. So we'll just hop right into hockey. All right, so the um, first round of the playoffs has concluded. It included this on Thursday, on Friday night, actually, with the the Canucks beating the Blues. So um, we're into the second round now. But first, the big news of the day for the NHL I wanted to start out with. Todd Reardon of the Capitals has been fired this morning after their 4-1 series loss against the Islanders. And to me, I think this is no question completely deserved. You know, the team has been going backwards since they won their cup in 2018. They've been a good regular season team, but, you know, it's the Capitals. They've always been good in the regular season. You know, that wasn't really telling anybody anything. And, you know, last year they lost a hard-fought series to the Hurricanes. And that was, you know, that was, a I don't know about acceptable, but it was, you know, you weren't going to lose. No one's going to lose their job over that. But this year, you know, it was a total embarrassment for the Capitals. You know, they were outplayed the whole series. They were the, on the forecheck. They were the Islanders forechecked them at will. They were completely on their heels. They really couldn't get anything going from an offensive standpoint, which is terrible for a team that has so much offensive talent. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a change was needed. You know, the team just looked flat, and you know, losing four to one against a team that was way less talented than they were. They are as not acceptable at all. So, you know, they did the right thing and fired Todd Reardon after two years on the job. I'd say either um, the candidates for the job now, I'd say Peter Laviolette and Gerard Gallant, I, I think are the top two out there. I think they're two pretty good coaches, but they don't have a job right now. They were both fired in the middle of their respective seasons this past this year because technically the year's still not over. So, you know, Capitals, they have a search to do. They'll probably not announce it until the playoffs end but there's i'd say the search starts right now for a new head coach so moving on we have the second round it started last night actually but i'm gonna go over my series previews and for the stars in the avalanche i actually i'm kind of wrong on that already because you know i thought going into this series i looked and i thought stars really don't have much of a chance because you know they're not as good of a team on paper nowhere near they um a lot of their wins against Calgary were kind of ugly. Even in the game on Thursday night where they came back from 3 nothing to win 7-3, to I thought it was less about them playing a really, really good game as opposed to Calgary just collapsing because they looked awful early on. And I was going to the series, I predicted a sweep for the Avalanche, but they the Stars ended up winning last night. They played a really good game. I thought they were forechecking well, and they kept the Avalanche in check. I was very surprised. You know, I don't think they're going to win the series, but, you know, I... Th- think right now they if they play the way they did they have a legit chance to win so so who knows how that will go but you know good win for the stars last night moving on to the other matchup the canucks and the golden knights that's the other matchup in the west i think that's going to be a pretty interesting series i think the golden knights are a better team on paper you know, their top six is one of the best in hockey when you just think about from a standpoint of just a total unit and they also have a, a lot of depth in their bottom six and they're um and um, their defense and goaltending can be a little shaky at times, but they also they have a lot of skill back there. The Canucks also have a lot of skill on the top six with Elias Pettersson, um, JT Miller, Brock Besser, and Bo Horvat. And I think that'll help them win a few games, especially if the Golden Knights play shaky defense at times. But ultimately, I think the Knights are the better team here. They're I think they'll win it in six games. Be a pretty entertaining series. I just don't think the Canucks have enough juice to win it. So going on to the Eastern Conference... We have the Islanders and Flyers as the first matchup. And, you know, for as 
good as the Flyers looked coming into the playoffs, I thought they really didn't play that well against the Canadians. They were not, their offense didn't generate a whole lot. They they couldn't even get 25 shots per game, which is really which is really shocking for a team with that talent and against the team like the Canadians who don't have as much talent. You might get the Canadians had some momentum after their series win against the Penguins, but, but I expect to be better from the Flyers. And the Islanders, on, on the other hand, look really, really good with the way they completely humiliated the Capitals in that series. And when I did fill up my bracket for the playoffs, I predicted this matchup. I, th- I said the Flyers would win, but I'm going back on that. I think the... Um, the Islanders just look a lot better right now. They're going to play a four-check heavy game, and if the honestly, if the Flyers' offense is that, if that's the best they can do against the, um, if the Flyers' offense can only do that against the Canadians, they I don't know how many goals they'll score at all against the Islanders. So I think the Islanders, I think it'll be close. I think because I think the Flyers are a more talented team, but I'm going to say Islanders in six. So going on to the um, Lightning versus the Bruins, that's the other matchup. And I think it's going to be the best series in this round. I think both teams are basically mirror images on paper. I say two of the most com- three complete teams in the NHL. They have equal momentum. They just came off their series wins in the first round, four to one. But I think two things are going to be the determining factors here. One, I really think the Lightning have a lot more to prove here because they they're on a mission to prove themselves after they were humiliated last year, and they they are on the right track, having beat the Blue Jackets in five games. The Bruins, you know. They made the cup finals last year. It's, I mean, they still have a lot to prove. They want to win a cup, but it's kind of like one of those things where everybody knows that they're they can dominate, and they the odds are automatically stacked against them. Another thing I want to talk about is the, the goaltending matchup with Tuka Rask opting out. The Bruins are left with Yaroslav Halak, who's pretty good, but he's not great at all. He's not nowhere near as good as Andre Vasilevsky, who's one of the best goaltenders in hockey. So I think it's a really close back and forth series, but I think the Lightning win it in seven games. All right. All right. That's, that's all, all I have for hockey. Yeah. All right. Uh, Nick, any comments about the hockey situation? Um, you know, me being an Islanders fan, it's pretty exciting to see where the Islanders are at this point. I just have a good feeling about them. You know, watching a little bit of them uh, going into the playoffs, especially against the Capitals. It just seems like we have finally have after you know twenty years that I've been a fan, and then since the eighties, since I last won a Stanley Cup. Um, you know, it seems like they have the right combination of coach, uh, talent, young talent, and I think especially that they're hot at the right time. Um, as Max said, like them being so hot, it, it, it shows a lot of promise for them moving forward. Yeah, I think it's honestly less about their talent because they, talent-wise, they're one of the more mediocre teams in the league, but, you know, their coach, Barry Trotz, he's the, you know, obviously the kind of coach who just relies on the system, and he's working really well for a team that really doesn't have... But they have their franchise star, Matt Barzell. Outside of that, though, it's, they don't really have a lot of guys you look at and say, wow, mm-hmm. this is a really good team, but they're playing well, they're hot. So who knows? The teams watch out for right now. 100%. All right. Um, I guess that's it for hockey. Yeah. And I'll see you guys. Say bye to Max. See you guys. Bye Thank Max. you for having me again. Yep. Thank you, Max. All right. So we're going on to baseball. So some major stories to keep an eye on. The first thing that happened this week was the Fernando Tatis Grand Slam that became a pretty controversial topic, which I wasn't even aware that it was a controversy because it didn't seem like a big deal to me. But So I'll put the context and then I'll discuss it. So I guess it was, what's today, Sunday? Either Thursday night or Friday night. Um, Fernando Tatis 
hit a grand slam against the Texas Rangers after getting a 3-0 pitch with the bases loaded, um, and he clobbered a ball to right field. So the problem with the situation, well, the situation was that they were up 10-3 in the eighth inning, obviously up big, um, not totally like people have come back from a seven-run lead before, but they were up 10-3, uh, bases loaded, 3-0 count. For now, he swung at the 3-0 pitch and hit a grand slam. And what came out of that was the Texas Rangers head coach, not sure of his name, basically got mad at Tatis, um, said it was an unwritten rule that he broke that you don't, you know, push them down. You don't kick them down when they're already down, that type of situation. And there's been deferring views. Some people agree with the Texas Rangers coach. I think most people agree with Fernando Tatis was fine to swing at a 3-0 pitch. Um, Basically, if he didn't swing at a 3-0 pitch, it was either going to be a walk or it was going to be 3-1. and And then a lot of people are saying you don't swing at a 3-0 pitch, but they're fine swinging at a 3-1 pitch, which I don't really understand the difference. Um, I get if maybe they were up by more. Like, 10-3, yes, that's seven runs, and that's a lot. But, I mean, the Mets had a game last year where they were up by, I think, like eight or six or something like that in the bottom of the ninth and gave up the lead. And I don't think Fernando Tatis going after a 3-0 pitch is really an unwritten rule. Um, like, I, I get, like, the whole mercy rule, like, you don't keep going on a team, but they're up 10-3. to 3. It's not that huge of a lead, um, and I think it's what makes baseball fun. At Prior to Fernando Tatis, baseball would be getting boring. There were uh, these unwritten rules that no one wanted to break. Bro- there are these unwritten rules that no one wanted to break. There are old players that just played by the old rules, but Fernando Tatis seems to be this young, up-and-coming talent, obviously, and he's making baseball exciting. And for anyone that's been following baseball, Fernando Tatis has been on fire this season. So has the Padres, but that's not really what I'm talking about. And I'd rather not see Fernando Tatis just sit there and either wait to be walked or strike out or something and hit a home run, hit a grand slam, which is probably one of the most exciting things in baseball. And I really don't understand the other point of view. I don't, Nick, what's your point of view on that? Um, you know, I, I totally agree with your, what you're saying. Yeah, I think regardless of the score, this is professional sports. Whatever the score is, like if you keep putting on runs, it is what it is. I mean, like me as like a coach or, or as a player in any sport, I'm always like, I don't care what the score is. I'm going to keep playing hard. Mm-hmm. I don't care if we're up fifty. Even in baseball, we're up fifty, right? I'm yeah. still playing as hard as I did when the score was zero zero, and that's yeah. just me. I mean, and, you know, yeah. I, I think when the score does get to a certain point. I think again, number one, you don't stop trying, but I think the celebration is something you can you can cut, mm-hmm. which ta- that wasn't really the issue. Yeah. You know, Tati's hit the grand slam and then like flip the bat and stare down the pitcher when they're up so many runs. Yeah. Then I think it's a little disrespectful, but you know what is he supposed to do? Sit there and take a three zero pitch that he knows is going to be a meatball right over the plate. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with what he did in my opinion. And then when we look at the Rangers, right? Rangers, I believe it was a year or two ago. They they bleat the Orioles thirty to three. Um, yeah, this is like this, I saw this on Twitter. It's about like I think it might have been twenty eighteen. The, the again same manager, roughly the same team, right? They had beaten the Orioles thirty to three. So you know what, what are we talking about in terms of of run differential here? Yeah, um, that was two thousand seven actually. Was it? Yeah. Um, Baseball reference, August 22nd, 2007. All right, I thought it was a couple years ago. Unless there are two games where they won 30-3. But either oh, way. 2017, right here. 
Uh, August 22nd, 2017. Oh, then where's this 2007? Um, oh, okay. uh, uh, I see. That's also a different game, yeah. There were two... Oh, no, 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 so, it was 2007, but, um, uh, they reported on it, like, a, a decade after, gotcha. in 2017, so that makes a lot more sense, um, but regardless, you know, it, it's still the Texas Rangers franchise, mm-hmm. and I don't know, it's just, it's, it's always hypocrisy, it's always a big hypocrisy, because at the end of the day, would the Rangers have not done the same thing, who knows, yeah, true. again, for Tatis wasn't disrespectful about it, he's really hot right now, he knew he had. He was going to get a good hit to pitch, a uh, uh, pitch to hit rather, and he swung and he had a home run, a grand slam. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with what he did. And as you said, ten to three lead is a pretty large lead in baseball, but that is absolutely not insurmountable. Like yeah. you can come back from that. You know, if they're up twenty to three, I'd probably say no. But ten to three, that's you know, let, let's say the next inning, right? We're in the eighth inning, ninth inning. Uh, Rangers get a grand slam right back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's four runs. It's ten to seven. They're in the ball game. Yeah. I mean, if the Rangers, the Rangers coach just shouldn't be mad, just play better. I mean, be a better coach, not put in better pitchers. I don't even know. It's exactly. It's just I, you know, I'm I'm always in the, I'm always under the impression no mercy. You know, you earn if if it's earned fairly. You know, they're not cheating. They're and they're not being disrespectful about the points that they're putting on. Then there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. It's professional baseball. This isn't like. Some middle school, high school team that's like the state champions versus a team that put a bunch of riffraffs together yeah. and they're just destroying them. I mean, this is professional baseball. Um, you know, the pod, the Padres had earned every run they had gotten, and I think the Rangers, the Texas Rangers franchise slash manager, need to relax. <laughs> yeah, feel, feelings should not be hurt because you lost badly. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. I, I think the unwritten rule is what you mentioned is like showing off if you're winning by a lot. I don't mm-hmm. think the unwritten rules just keep on putting on. Yeah, whatever. Next thing I want to talk about um, is the Mets COVID outbreak. Outbreak isn't, it's not really the right word, but uh, it was reported on uh, when was it, Thursday, Wednesday. I think it was Thursday uh, that the Mets had one staff member and one player report positive for the coronavirus. Um, which suspended the final game of the Marlins series and then the first game of the Yankees series. And then a couple of days later or a day later, the Yankees Mets series was postponed. So right now where it stands, it's only that one staff member and only one player. How they did it was the staff member and one player and anyone that was in close contact after the contract tracing stayed in Florida and the rest of the team went back to New York for further testing. And they basically the team was separated and it still stands that there's one player and one staff member. And that's kind of interesting to think about because with the Reds' recent outbreak, even though it wasn't really an outbreak, it was only one player. So that could mean that maybe baseball is becoming better at doing this contract tracing, contact tracing, sorry, um, and maybe keeping the coronavirus under locked as the best as, as best as they can. Because if you remember, the Marlins got out of hand, the Phillies got out of hand, um, and maybe they're doing a better job of that. And that's something to keep an eye on for the rest of the season because... If they can do a better job at that, the season can go on and can continue, which is something that all fans want, obviously. Um, Going from there, it will be interesting how they... I guess I'll just go into the Mets rundown right now. It will be interesting how they make up the games because they, they do play the Yankees. They play the Marlins next, then they play the Yankees again. And for people that don't know, they have this seven inning doubleheader situation and this last series against the Yankees was supposed to be the last time they play the Yankees this season. 
um, I'm pretty sure. So are they going to make the Mets play three doubleheader games? I mean, all six doubleheader games. So three days of doubleheaders. And if they do that, that's really unfair because no team's going to have six pitchers ready to just throw out there and that's going to like throw off everything. And I don't think that's how they're going to do that. I think they'll probably push back some other games and fit in these Yankees games somehow and maybe make doubleheaders against other teams because obviously that's definitely unfair and I don't think that's how it's going to go down, but that's something that Mets fans have been wondering about, how they're going to deal with making up these games, and I think that's what all teams that have been have had suspended games are figuring out. And maybe they just end up not making up those games, but I feel that baseball wants to have a Subway series as much as they can because it's the Mets versus the Yankees. Other than that, um, the Mets had been playing better. Uh, obviously, they had beat the Mons three straight games. Pete Alonso was playing really well. Robinson Cano was playing well. Um, still the same situation with up the middle for the Mets. They have four players that could be starting, um, but I don't. that's not how they're doing it, obviously, and they're just giving Pete players opportunity. The DH is really helping with the young talent that the Mets have. With Dom Smith is absolutely crushing the ball. I don't. I mean, I don't know where this is coming from. Obviously, Dom Smith has been a talent for a few years now and just hasn't hit the mark, but he's definitely hitting the mark now. And the final thing I want to say about the Mets is that Steven, Steven Matz was pushed into the bullpen after another rough start that he had, and Seth Lugo was supposed to make the start for the Mets in Game 4 against the Marlins. Obviously, that was suspended. And if you're a Mets fan, you know the whole Seth Lugo situation, how he's wanted to be a starter for all these years. But when he got pushed into the bullpen... He did a tremendous job and his, has been a bullpen pitcher for the Mets ever since because he's just really good at it. Um, and he finally got was about to get an opportunity to start a game, which is what he's always wanted to do. And Mets fans are rooting for him, and we're really hoping that he could be a really good starter because the Mets need a starter at this point with everything that's been going on with their starters. Um, but expect him to either start Monday, which is when they're expected to start playing again, or very soon after that. Um, you want to talk about the Yankees and then I'll just finish up baseball after that. Uh, gotcha. So just going back to what you had said about, uh, in terms of finishing those games, it should be interesting to see where the MLB goes in terms of trying to make up those games that they miss. Um, you know, one idea that I have is maybe at the end of the season, uh, you know, have teams that are missing games play through them and Mm -hmm. give, I probably say, set it up like this two weeks after the season ends. Whatever team, the first week, whatever teams need to finish out their games will do so. And then the second week, again, relatively to how many games are missed, yeah. you don't need more time, less time. And the second week, every single team gets off. That way it's not, because mm. it, it, you know, it's not like it's set up where that, that week would be, oh, the best teams get like a, a, a week by or something like that. Mm. It's really random and it, mm-hmm. it's all up to how COVID spreads and how games are missed that via that. So it wouldn't be fair to just say that random teams get off that first week. So I'd say give the second week off to every single team and then the playoffs start. Um, I think that one week, number one, will allow teams to isolate. Hopefully if they have any COVID cases, they can see if they can get past if that, you know, have players sit at home so they're not spreading COVID. Sure. So everyone comes in COVID-free for the playoffs, as well as it gives everyone a fair chance to have like that one week break, whatever whatever the time span may be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one way that I see. Might be a good idea. Would you? What do you think, Brian? One thing that... It could, definitely could be a good idea, and I think what they should keep in mind if they go that route is that if they're teams that are just totally out of the race, just don't make them play. There's no reason to have people in close contact when they don't have to be playing. Um, 
And a few other things to keep in mind is that I think baseball is thinking about doing a bubble for the playoffs. And so if they had to do the quarantine, that would just make perfect sense to give them a week off um, and quarantine and, you know, figure out all the travel and situations like that. But one thing I do want to say regarding that is that a lot of players have been complaining about um, all the changes that baseball is making, like on the fly decisions, changing up how they do things with testing and how they're going to play games and the double headers was a big thing the seven inning double headers a lot of players are complaining about the fact that they're just doing everything on the fly and in my opinion i think that that's what they have to do i mean this is unprecedented times they going into this they could only think of so many rules to put in place to make the season as safe as possible before it actually started and they're coming up with other ways to make things safer for these players and i know that it's not how players are used to things happening there's used to being like time where they decide if this is the right way to go and what whatever that situation is. This is the time that they're in now. They have to figure out the safest way to play these games. And players complaining about how Rob Manfred's running the league. Yes, he makes mistakes. But in this case where he's making on-the-fly decisions, it's all for the safety of the players and to have baseball be as best as it can and to constantly be barking up Rob Manfred and saying all these bad things about him. I mean, this is how it's going to be. I mean, it shouldn't be crazy that they have to make safety precautions uh, more necessary, change things up for the safety of everyone. It shouldn't be a surprise, and I really don't understand the constant complaints. And that goes into how they make up these these games that teams are missing. It's unprecedented times. They have to figure it out as best as they can. And with the outbreaks that baseball has had, I think they've figured it out pretty well. They haven't had to stop the season. So I think they've done as best of a job as they can. Yeah, I would say so too. They've done a pretty solid job. The only complaint that I would have is that where I think the players have some sort of a valid point is that Manfred and, and the Leeds Commission, uh, you know, administration mm-hmm. should set forward clear protocols in terms of what's going to happen if X happens. Mm-hmm. If a game is missed, it will be made up then. Not like, you know, the game is missed, oh, we'll figure out what we're going to do next. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and if their protocol is it's it's tentative, like make that clear, you know. Yeah. I think there a sense of clarity is needed, especially after how the season started. In terms of the MLB was kind of the last lead to get it together. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of behind in terms of their protocols, and they're trying to figure it out on the fly, as you said. Yeah. But I think going forward, you know, if they decide to do something like that two week break, they should make that known ahead of time rather than like the week of. Mm-hmm. I think that would be that would benefit them. And I think it would make the players come back on their side a little bit. Yeah, I think the players at this point should also realize that. And I think they're starting to realize that they're just trying to figure it out on the fly as best as they can. Um, but yeah, I think everything okay, in their head should be tentative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Um, so going off of that, uh, just going to the Yankees rundown. Honestly, not much to talk about the Yankees. They've been terrible lately, and it's all byproduct of the injuries that they've been having. Um, they're on a three-game losing streak in the past three games. They're 16-9 and nine now, uh, second place in the AL East. Uh, it's been kind of a rough rough uh, patch for the Yankees. You know, just going through the season, right? Uh, June 28th, the Yankees lost Luis Severino. Uh, you know, he's out with an elbow injury for the entire year. Uh, standing with Tom, uh, T- Tommy Canely, uh, also out for the season. Uh, he, he went out on August 6th. Uh, on August 17th, the Yankees lost Stan Enlemay, who were not expected to be back until probably the start of September. Um, and we lost Zach Brighton um, and Kyle Higashioka. I always suck with his last name, but he's the backup catcher for the Yankees. He's out. Uh, both of them are out until the start of September at least. 
hamstring, then an oblique in that order. Uh, you know, the Yankees don't effectively have a backup catcher now. Um, Brighton was a pretty good pitcher for them. Obviously, the Mayhew being out, Stanton being out, all stars across the board. Uh, Kaylee and Severino were really good. Um, and then on the 21st of August, the Yankees lost Aaron Judge and and Luis uh, Avilon, who's he's not as good, but obviously Aaron Judge is huge. Uh, Judge is just, is more of a day to day thing, but the fact that he hasn't been in the lineup, you know, has obviously hurt the Yankees. And then, as recent as yesterday, the Yankees lost Glaber Torres and Paxton, who are not expected to be back until probably like five to ten days into September. Um, you know, I think it's just the story of the Yankees over the past two to three years. It's just they put together these really good rosters out of nowhere and players who come up from from these random uh, farm teams. They come up from the farm team and. It's kind of random, and they just have to be really good. Somebody like uh, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, Gleyber Torres, you know, guys that weren't expected to be as great as they are. Um, you know, the Yankees show a lot of promise at the beginning of the season, and injuries start to hit them. They kind of fall apart, and they kind of get hot towards the end of the season. It's like, can they put it back together? Um, it just thinks this, you know, and it's all relative because even though the players aren't out for that long of time with the shortened season, it's basically it's essentially the same thing for the time they're being out, and how many games they're playing in that short time span. Essentially. Yankees are going to see what they've been seeing the past two or three years is just the injuries playing the middle of the season and it's can the Yankees put it back together at the end of the season into the playoffs which I'm hoping this year they can you know I think this is the the best Yankees team that we've seen in quite some time Yankees have consistently gotten better over the past two to three years despite the injuries and I think this year is probably their best roster that they've had uh, put together so you know, hopefully come playoff time you know, I do think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs regardless of the injuries, but come playoff time, they'll be able to put it all together and win a World Series again. Uh, but tough, tough patch for the Yankees. Uh, you know, 16-9 is, is still pretty solid, but nowhere near as, as hot as they were at the beginning of the season. They were 8-2 at one point. Um, so it, it's been it's been tough for the Yankees with the injuries. Yeah, I mean, either, either way you look at it, the Mets and the Yankees are both in the playoffs right now with the extended playoffs that the baseball has, so... Even though the Mets are in a far worse position than the Yankees. But um, there's a few other baseball things that I want to talk about. First off is the Phillies. Um, at this point, I think they're 9-14 and or 9-15. They're second worst in at National League. I mean, for the Phillies, I really don't know where the problem lies. I think they kind of remind me of just a team that has all the stars but just can't put it together. I don't know, the teams that teams that come to mind is, like, the Philadelphia Eagles, like, six years ago or something. They had, like, a crazy roster and just couldn't put it together. Um, I don't know what season that was, but it was – I remember the Philadelphia Phillies – the Philadelphia Eagles were supposed to have some crazy season, but just um, didn't end up working out for them. And then – I don't know. I mean, they have Bryce Harper. They have JT Ramuto. They have uh, – other players I can't think of. Zach Wheeler they just signed. They have Didi Gregorius. They have a great roster, and it's just they're not putting it together. They didn't put it together last year. I I mean, I don't really know what the problem is. It's just not playing as a team. I mean, in baseball, you don't even really have to play as a team that much. But it's just, I don't know. I mean, Bryce Harper's having a really good season, but they're just not having a good season. They uh, have lost five in a row, I'm pretty sure. Um, they're second worst in the National League and there's not much more to say. It's just surprising because they thought this season they'd put it all together and figure it out, but they just haven't. Um, 
Next up, Steven Strasburg had carpal tunnel and is out for the season in his hand, I'm pretty sure. Um, a big blow for the Nationals, who also aren't having that great of a season. I think they're fourth in the National League. I'm pretty sure they're 10 and 14. So they're also not having that great of a season. Um, Steven Strasburg, remember, if you remember in the offseason, they picked to sign him long term rather than sign Anthony Rendon. And Carpal Tunnel um, is a thing that I'm pretty sure will continue to bother him throughout his career unless they can figure out a way to totally relieve the pain. Um, but I don't think it's something that can just go away with surgery. I don't know. Is that right? Yeah. Say it again. Is carpal tunnel like a type of thing that, like, yeah, you can get surgery for, but it'll it could always like bother you? Yeah, carpal tunnel is sort of a, a chronic disease, and it's kind of from overuse. Mm. Um, you know, there's different treatments that can try and help it, but with a lot of things in medicine, it's it's kind of it'll fix itself if it does, and if it doesn't, you know, you can only do your best. Um, but it's not, it's definitely more common with people like thirty and older. Mm. Yeah, so definitely a big blow for the for the Nationals who had decided to go with Steven Strasburg long-term and not Anthony Rendon. And that was something I kind of mentioned back in the day. <laughs> well, it wasn't that long ago, but before the season that uh, picking Strasburg over Rendon, pitchers are much more likely to have bad injuries, and this is an injury that could really bother him for the rest of his career. Um, next up, speaking of Anthony Rendon, the LA Angels, who obviously signed Anthony Rendon, are also not playing well this season. They're another team that surprises surprises me. I thought this was the season that they really turned around. I mean, Mike Trout has had no luck with the Angels getting into the playoffs. They're another team that I just don't really know the problem. I know their bullpen is not good. Um, it hasn't been good for a while. But they have the hitters on that team. The pitching is probably not that great either. But you'd think at some point they'd figure this out. I mean, they'd figure it out for Mike Trout. They'd figure it out for the Angels fans. But season after season, they have talent and continue to not play well. Um, and that really sucks because I'd like to see the Angels in the playoffs. I'd like to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. Um, but that's just not happening. And that's really it for baseball. Um, yeah, not much more. We're going to go into basketball. Start. I'm going to go over the Eastern Conference playoffs thus far, and then Nixon go into the Western Conference. So let's start with... Uh, I guess Bucks and Magic. The Magic um, ended up winning Game One of the series, which was definitely a surprise. Uh, the Bucks just played bad. I mean, Giannis scored a lot of points, but he's really had a problem close to the rim. I don't know what the exact stat is, but he just hasn't really played uh, well close to the rim, which is something that Giannis is used to playing well. And the rest of the the Bucks just weren't playing well game one. Um, the Magic took advantage of that, beat the beat the Bucks. Game two, Giannis seemed to have another uh, good game um, and was able to inch out the Magic, but the Bucks in that game didn't really play that well either. Um, finally, in game three, Giannis played well, Chris Middleton played well, who had been struggling in the series, and the Magic ended up losing, obviously, so the Bucks are up 2-1, to one, but definitely surprised that the Magic even were able to take one game against the Bucks, um, and Magic fans should be happy because I don't think anyone expected them to even have a chance in the series, and obviously they still do have a chance with the Bucks somewhat struggling. So definitely a thing to keep an eye on. I do still see the Bucks 
probably winning 4-1 in the series. But I'm always a fan of underdogs, so if the Magic can pull out some crazy upset, that'd be really cool. <clears throat> Next up is the Raptors and Nets. The Raptors are up 3-0 against the Nets. Fred Van Fleet has been amazing, um, scoring a lot, playing just really good basketball. Kyle Lowry has been playing well. His uh, Game 3 wasn't the greatest for him, but if you remember last season, the big thing with Kyle Lowry was the struggles in the playoffs, and it's always really been for him, and it's nice to see him not totally struggling. And also, for the Nets, um, Joe Harris left every game, too. It wasn't really clear what the reasons were. It was a personal reason. could be COVID-related. could be something like that. No one knows, but that's the 10th net to either leave the bubble or just not come. Um, obviously, the Nets are playing with their ragtag team at this point, and I think the Raptors are going to win game four. So for the Nets, I mean, it was nice to have them in the playoffs, but nothing more really came of that. <clears throat> um, next up, Celtics versus Sixers. Celtics are up 3-0 against the Sixers. The Sixers are injured as well. I mean, their biggest injury is obviously Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid has been trying the best that he can to put the team on his back, but can't do enough to beat the Celtics, who are on fire at this point. Kemba Walker seems to just play much better with the Celtics than Kyrie Irving did. Um, <clears throat> and the Celtics are just playing outstanding at this point. Jason Tatum um, is also playing really well. Obviously, he's a superstar for the Celtics, and... They just had a really good series and are up 3-0. I don't really see the Sixers winning game four, but we'll have to see that's going on right now. I don't know what the score is. Um, finally, Heat versus Pacers. The Heat are also up 3-0 against the Pacers. We had discussed last week that we thought the Heat were going to win the series. I don't think any of us really said 3-0. We thought the Pacers would have some type of uh, push against the Heat, but obviously the Pacers don't have Victor Oladipo playing for them. They also have somewhat of a ragtag team, similar to the Sixers and the Nets, and that's just based off coronavirus and injuries. Um, TJ Warren has also played well for the Pacers, but that really just hasn't been enough. Game three for the Pacers, uh, the biggest problem for them was the free throw attempts, and that was a major story. They allowed the Heat to have 52. Free throw attempts is just something that can't happen. Uh, you have to be able to play defense without uh, giving up fouls and letting the team go to the free throw line, which is obviously some of the easiest points in basketball. And that's really what let the Heat win game three. I do see the Pacers putting up a fight in game four, but I don't know how much. I mean, when you're up 3-0, you basically win the series. So that's it for the Eastern Conference. Nick, you can do some Western Conference. Uh, sure, just going through the uh, Eastern Conference and a little bit what I have to say about it. Um, uh, starting with the Celtics, you know, the Celtics have been dominant over the Sixers. Uh, Sixers without Ben Simmons has it is impossible for them to win that series in my opinion. Joel Embiid has done his best, but at the end of the day, the Celtics are going to ace out that uh, that series. Either 4-0, or they're playing right now. Uh, they're about to be finished up. Either 4-0 or probably in, in five games. Um, we'll have to see where that goes, but Celtics are probably going to ace out that series. Um, same thing with the Raptors. They've been incredibly, incredibly efficient against the Nets. Um, as they've been all year, you know, I don't, they're not the team with the most talent, but they're coached very well in Nick Nurse. And they do still have a, a solid amount of talent between Kyle Lowry, Kevin Evely, Pascal Siakam, uh, it's all So, you know, a good amount of talent on that team, coached very well. Uh, Nets without all, any of their talent, you know, as you said, Joe Harris left. Um, not much of a chance there. They're going to 4-0 sweep it or it'll probably be game five uh, there. Bucks versus Magic, you know, I expected the Bucks to sweep in this, but... 
Yana uh, struggles in, in sort of game one. Um, sort of the rest of the the Bucks team, but they kind of they kind of got punched in the mouth in game one. But I think the Bucks really picked it up from here on out, and they should be able to sweep the rest of the series. I expect the Bucks in five at this point, and the Heat. You know, they could be able to sweep it. I expected the Heat to win, as I said in our last podcast. Um, I, I thought Jimmy Butler, when he, if he's hot, he's going to be too good. That that Heat team plays too well together. And Victor Oladipo hasn't played well enough to to really elevate this Pacers team over the Heat. And it could result in a heat sweep, uh, possibly game five win. Uh, you know, pretty pretty big for the Heat. Uh, they're getting hot at the right time. This is a pretty big uh, pretty big victory for them, um, especially you know being a slight upset. Uh, so congratulations to the Heat on, on playing so well in the playoffs so far. Uh, moving on from there, just going over to the Western Conference, uh, starting with the first series, we have the Lakers versus Portland Trailblazers. Uh, it's been a really interesting series so far. Um, I think out of any team in the playoffs, I think the Portland Trailblazers are probably the most underrated team in terms of seeding. Um, as I said, I expected this series to go to Game 7, and I still sort of expected two. Uh, Damian Lillard has been incredible so far. Um, he's really tried to put the team on his back. TJ McCollum, uh, Nurkic, Hassan Whiteside, and Melo, who had an incredible Game 3. Um, you know, it was him versus LeBron pretty much in Game 3. Melo took him up to, into the post so many times and scored right over him. It looks like I was watching the New York Knicks, Denver Nuggets, uh, mellow again, and you know me. And probably for me, being from New York to see the Knicks mellow is, is pretty exciting. Uh, but really, it's been a really good series so far between the both of them. Um, you know, the Portland Trailblazers against I think any other team in the playoffs would probably stand even more of a chance. But I think the Lakers are just so good they will ace them out in seven games. Um, you know, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Javale McGee, Dwight Howard. I think there's too much height there. You know, the Lakers not only do they have an incredible amount of talent between LeBron James and Anthony Davis. The height of that team is also well noted. Um, you know, when they have, out on the court, when you have LeBron James playing point guard at six eight, six nine, uh, you know, it's you know, you either got to match their height, which not a lot of teams can in the NBA, or you got to go to complete opposite, play small ball, and try to counter them, which I think will provide the Rockets with a good chance at if the Rockets can pass the Thunder, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, but the Lakers, I, I do expect to finish out that series. Um, you know, LeBron has been doing LeBron, what LeBron does, elevating in the playoffs. Uh, when the, the Lakers needed him the most, he rose to the occasion. He's been putting up an increasing amount of points per game since game one. Uh, to, you know, Lakers, I do expect the game to, to win that in uh, seven games. Moving on, we have the Thunder versus the Rockets. The Rockets dominated the first two games, um, you know, without Russell Westbrook, which is to be noted. Uh, but OKC did win it in the play, win in overtime yesterday. Uh, pretty upsetting loss for me as a Rockets fan. James Harden pretty much set out the entire overtime which is really disappointing because I feel like he would have gave them a shot. Uh, but the Rockets wind up losing by, tw- I think, 12 in overtime, uh, which is really crappy to see. But, you know, the, the Rockets had, had, from that point on, dominated the Thunder, um, similar to the Celtics over the 76ers and the Heat over the Pacers. Uh, but they did lose it in overtime, which was tough. Uh, you know, if Russell Westbrook does come back during this uh, during the series, I do expect the Rockets I would say Russell Westbrook is to be back for tomorrow and tomorrow's game. I do expect the Rockets to probably sweep the rest of the games and, and go 4-1 against the Thunder. If not, this could go to like a 4-2 or a 4-3, maybe even game seven. Uh, Thunder, really good team. You know, between behind Chris Paul, uh, Shaglis Alexander, uh, Stephen Adams, a lot of talent on that team, well coached under Billy Donovan, um, well led by Chris Paul, so that team could do some damage, but I do think the Rockets are too talented for them. Um I do expect the Rockets to win in either, I would say, either five games or six games. 
Uh, moving on from there, we've had the Utah versus the Denver Nuggets. You know, Utah's been playing lights out against the Nuggets. As I said, neither of these teams are really playoff teams, but I think Utah's Jazz defensive ability has really helped them. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell have been playing excellent uh, so far throughout the series. Donovan Mitchell put up, I believe, 50-something points the other night. Um, so the Jazz are up 2-1. to one. Uh, I do think the Nuggets will probably ace up the series in the, over the long term. And I said this game was prob- this will probably go to a Game 7. Uh, I'd have Nuggets winning in 7. Um, I'd probably still stand by that. I think the Nuggets will bounce back. Uh, but Utah's been playing lights out. And if they continue, they obviously will win the series. But uh, it's a pretty good series right there. And then the final series we have is Clippers and the Mavericks. Um, you know, as I said in, in before, I think the Mavericks, I either thought the Clippers would, would sweep or the Mavericks might steal one just based off their offensive ability. Uh, but with the fact that Luka Doncic went down last, was it last night uh, or two nights ago, with an ankle injury apparently, for me, I, I, the way he had his ankle turn, I've done it to myself multiple times. I'd imagine a low-grade ankle sprain and... You know, he tried to go back on the court and he couldn't do it. And Mavericks without Luka Doncic, it's just they're not going to win a game against the Clippers. Um, but Luka Doncic, will, will he come back or not? I honestly don't know. At first, I thought the injuries was a lot worse than it was. Uh, but he did come back onto the court and try to play with it. Um, he, I don't think he'll be in the next game, um, which is, I believe, is tonight. But uh, you know, he, he'll probably have to miss a game or two. Um, and if he does come back early, I don't think he's going to be at 100 percent, nowhere near it. Which is, which is really detrimental to the Mavericks. Um, but the Clippers are just incredible. I think Kawhi Leonard, obviously being the best two-way player in the NBA, and maybe even being the best player in the NBA, uh, really leads that Clippers team. The Clippers team is, I think they're so good on the defensive end. That, and that they're, they're you know, I would say above average on the offensive end. They're just such a hard team to beat, especially come playoff time. So I do probably expect the Clippers to go 5-1, especially if Luka Doncic cannot come back or is not 100%, which... I do expect him to at least be not 100%. Um, but, you know, with the low-grade ankle sprain, it's definitely going to be hard for him to compete, especially uh, with the type of defensive ability that they have on the Clippers. And the Mavericks' whole game is basically based off their offense because defensively they're pretty subpar. Um, between Luka Doncic, Porzingis, Seth Curry has really stepped up as of late for the Mavericks. You know, their whole game is offense. And Clippers, as I said before, the Clippers are pretty much the perfect counter to them. They're all about the defense and then making it up on the offensive end. Uh, so that is what I have to say about the Western Cops Finals. Brian, any questions, comments, concerns? It will be interesting to see how – I think Doncic is obviously going to be out at least one game. It will be interesting to see. I mean, it's basically Kristaps team at this point, which is what it was back when he was with the Knicks. And obviously that didn't turn out that great. He has, like, obviously, like, great moments in games, but I don't know if he can be that – number one star on a team and I don't think without Doncic he'll be able to do enough to be able to beat the Clippers who are an outstanding team and also something to mention in that series was Paul George who didn't play that well um he his main focus they had an interview with him his main focus is defense and it's always been defense for him and he's never been that player even compared like to James Harden he's never been that player that can just go out there and shoot and make all these baskets in I think it was game three where he really struggled or game two one of those games where he really struggled uh, from the field and I think maybe scored like 10 points for them which is obviously they need more from him Uh, and it's because in the past Paul George hasn't played that well in the playoffs and it's something to definitely keep an eye on if he can be 
a go-to player for the Clippers on offense as well as defense. That's all I really have to say. Yeah, I just don't agree. Uh, Paul George, he shot three. I believe he shot three for sixteen in the first game. So it was a, you know, Kawhi really had to pick up the pace for him. Mm-hmm. But Paul George has, has sort of inched his way back into being a big part of that Clippers team yeah. uh, going down the stretch of the series. Um, but yeah, uh, so going off of that, that concludes our NBA segment. Uh, going over to the NFL now. Um, not a ton of news this week, but really, really interesting news. I would say wide variety of news. I'll start with what happened first. Uh, so Gerald McCoy who was the recent signing over from the the Buccaneers, I believe. Um, I think he played for a different team last year, but you know, he, he was a long-time Bucks defensive tackle. Um, you know, signed with the Cowboys this offseason. And he, he came down with, a, I believe it's an ACL injury, and he's going to be down for the season, which is a pretty big loss for the Cowboys, considering the offensive, uh, the defensive line, rather, that they put together this offseason. Between Everson Griffin, Gerald McCoy, and Navelle Gallimore, who is, I think is a pretty solid defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. If you guys remember back to the, for my draft board, he was he was like a top-ten player for me. Um, I thought the pressure he brought from the inside and his ability to stop, stop the run was pretty incredible. I think he, he was a third-rounder, but I thought he was going to put up you know, some pretty good numbers this rookie year and be a pretty good player in the NFL. And, of course, Marcus Lawrence on the other side. So between Marcus Lawrence, Gerald McCoy, Navelle Gallimore, and Everson Griffin, that's a pretty good defensive line. You could, and then you combine that with the Cowboys, you know, linebacker core um, between Van Resch and uh, Jalen Smith. You know, you have a pretty good defense right there. Obviously, the Cowboys did lose uh, Byron Jones, um, but uh, you know, otherwise, uh, pretty big, pretty big loss for the defensive and uh, the defensive line for the Cowboys. But a good news for the Cowboys, possibly. Um, really interesting story coming out of Baltimore this week. Uh, the Ravens and Earl Thomas have cut ties, and the Ravens have uh, Baltimore Ravens have released Earl Thomas in sort of a shocking fashion, I would say. Um, so what happened allegedly was, and through Earl Thomas has kind of leaked it online, was that uh, they were in practice. There was a blown coverage. Uh, Earl Thomas got upset about it, blamed somebody else, blamed himself. Uh, got to an altercation with a teammate, uh, allegedly swung at him with a closed fist, so that he tried to punch him. Um, Earl Thomas was sent home, and he never came back. He was later released. Interesting to note was Earl Thomas tried to clear the air before he was released and had had posted practice footage on his Instagram, which is kind of a big no-no in, in sports. Is like post your practice footage because it's kind of like the private stuff. You don't want teams teams to see you practicing. They don't want to know, you don't want other teams to know you're running. Um, even though you know, obviously Earl Thomas posted it for the reason he wants just wanted to clear the air about what was happening. As Earl Thomas had said in his, in his Instagram post, in his caption that he didn't really want to talk about it, but since it was already kind of in the media, he just wanted to clear the air and, and kind of come forward about the truth and try to, you know, not allow anything, any rumors to bubble, boil over. But ultimately, the Ravens thought this was enough to release him, and they did. Um, you know, they had plans to either trade him or release him, and I'm sure the rest of the league, knowing that uh, Earl Thomas was was, was going to get released if he didn't get traded, they didn't offer him any trading blocks, and they're just going to, they didn't offer the Ravens any trade and wait for him to get released, and they'll probably offer... Earl Thomas and contracts uh, moving forward. But honestly, really weird situation because when you look at football in general, it's pretty common that we see teammates fight um, and, you know, get into fistfights, whatever it might be over practice. You know, the players are passionate about getting better and doing well for their team, especially the Ravens who are in position to win a Super Bowl this year. Um, you know, they're really, Earl Thomas is really passionate about doing well and the fact that he had a blown coverage made him angry. You know, teams fight all the time. It's just interesting how the Baltimore Ravens or came down so harsh on him. I wonder if there's anything more to the story that we're missing. Um, a and B, I'd imagine Baltimore's doing this uh, with the intention of keeping their chemistry together. 
with how good they did last year. They don't want anything messing with the chemistry they had. Um, with that being said, you know, a big part of that chemistry was Earl Thomas on the defense and his leadership and his ability to, to guide young players, um, as well as his talent. It's a huge loss for the Ravens. Um, and now we got to see where Earl Thomas lands. And I think, I think my favorite in terms of signing him would probably be the Cowboys. They really need safety. They really need somebody to edge out that, uh, secondary. And Earl Thomas would be the perfect fit for them. Um, you know, other than that, any of the teams that were in the play for Jamal Adams besides the Seahawks, I think would be a valid, uh, landing spot for Earl Thomas. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a wide variety of, of teams that, that they could, could bid for Earl Thomas. He shouldn't be too overly expensive because he's a little bit up there in age. Um, but he's still a really good part to a defense. I, I do expect him to sign with a relative Super Bowl contender. I wouldn't expect him to go to a team that, um, is not in a position to win a Super Bowl. So it should be interesting to see where he lands. But again, my favorite is the Cowboys, which would be a good consolation prize for them losing Gerald McCoy. Um, with that being said, the final story out of the NFL this week is more of a sadder, sadder one. Uh, Ron Rivera, the newly hired coach uh, for the Washington football team slash Washington Redskins, no longer the Washington Redskins, um, came over from the Carolina Panthers because he coached there for a while. Uh, he was diagnosed with lymphoma uh, this week. Which he uh, which he uh, described as very curable because he caught it early. Uh, essentially, lymphoma just to go a little bit over a medical breakdown. The, the fact that he mentioned it was curable and they caught it early uh, leads me to believe that it's uh, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is Hodgkin's lymphoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, going over what lymphoma is it's essentially cancer of the lymphatic system or your lymph nodes. Uh, if you don't know what your lymphatic system is, it's kind of blood vessels that uh, drain uh, waste from. You know, they carry waste out of your body um, from your your body's cells and organs, and they also supply the, the your, your body's cells and organs with things like nutrients and oxygen, uh, stuff like that. And when you have cancer of, of that system, you know, it could be pretty detrimental to the body. Uh, and then you have Hodgkin, Hodgkin's versus non-Hodgkin's. Uh, essentially, the difference is non-Hodgkin's is, is cancer or corruption of the entire lymphatic system, so it's not any particular lymph node. Um, it's a lot harder to cure because, again, it's, it affects the entire body. Where Hodgkin's is, you know, isolated to one or two lymph nodes. You know, it's pretty isolated. Uh, they can attempt to remove the cancer, uh, especially if, the, as Rivera alludes to, that they caught it early. Um, and it is pretty curable, just like I believe any cancer is. If you catch it really early and you don't allow the cancer cells to spread, um, you know, they're, all cancers are, are, you know, relatively a lot more curable early on than later. Um so you know, this is, it's good news that Ron Vera caught it early, and I, I pray for him, and I, I hope he, he makes it through. Um, with that being said, it should be interesting to see. You know, let's say it is very curable; it's not an issue. They throw they throw him, they put him through some some chemotherapy or whatever it might be to remove the cancer and to terminate it. Um, will he be able to coach, especially during COVID? He's probably I would definitely consider him high risk at this point. Um, and you know, even if he is healthy, he's cancer free for X amount of time. Is the NFL and should he come back to coach or should he hand over the reins for someone else um, for at least this season? So, you know, again, with his safety being uh, priority number one, um, should be interesting to see how it affects the Washington football team. But other than that, uh, best of luck to Ron Rivera. I'm hoping he gets through it. Um, and that about wraps up the NFL. Brian, do you have any comments on the NFL? Um, no. All right. So, uh, you know, not really to college news this week, uh, relatively the same as last week. We're still waiting on tentative schedules and kind of see how, how college football works out with, you know, not that many conferences playing. Um, and the state of basketball, 
Um, it seems like basketball is going to go ahead and go forth in the winter, but we'll have to see how that pans out. So we're just kind of waiting on news in terms of that for college. Um, other than that, that concludes our podcast. Um, in terms of final words for me, um, I'm back to school. I had my first week. Really interesting week of school. Uh, a lot of COVID precautions put everywhere. You know, when you go to the dining hall, you got to wait in six-foot lines. It takes forever to get food, and they serve you pre, pre-made food, so you can't really touch any of the food. You gotta eat. You gotta eat little plexi uh, box glasses. Hmm. Um, you know, masks at all times everywhere. Uh, half my classes are online, half of them are in person, and some of the classes are asynchronous, meaning that you know they just post lectures and you watch them whenever you want. So it's like it's really tough to focus on work when you have all these extra things going on. In terms of like, I gotta remember when I go to the dining hall, I need X amount more time now because I have to follow these precautions, and then I have class at this time. Do I need to be there? Is it online or person? Is it asynchronous? You know, there's a lot more thought in terms of, you know, last year where you go into class, you know, during regular college, you just get the class at this time, you go to the room, you take notes, you come back. Um, it, it's a lot more complicated now. But it's definitely distracting me away from the work and I need to start getting focused. But uh, really interesting to be on campus. You know, not, not too many schools are on in person right now. Um, I know Wake Forest, where Max goes, is in person. Um, I'm in person. Uh, you know, not again, not too many schools, and I believe schools that have been going in person, like Notre Dame and UNC, have gotten sent home mm-hmm. due to some outbreaks. So honestly, I do question whether it is a matter of time before we get sent home. Um, you know, I, the thing is, is that Villanova did announce that if we do get sent home, we will be home for the entire year, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Um, we will come back for the spring semester, which alludes me to to I want to say that you should send us home now before an outbreak does occur and then bring us back in the spring. I feel like that would be the best option. Um, but we'll have to see what the Villanova administration does as well as tons of schools across the country. And, you know, if we do get sent home, how will that affect sports? I have no clue. Um, the sports that are playing, I know no, no, sport, no fall sports are playing at Villanova right now. But will that affect winter sports in terms of basketball? Who knows? Uh, you know, as kind of like the MLB is going, it's all tentative. Uh, everyone's trying to learn on the fly, and it's really interesting. Um, I'll see what happens. I'm just hoping to stay safe as well as everybody else. You know, I hope there's no outbreak on campus, but I do feel like at some point it is inevitable uh, with how transmissible the virus is, and we're all in close quarters. And it's college life. You know, kids are not – even if they're going to follow the, the precautions as best as they can, the precautions are not 100%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids are bound to break precautions at some point. Um, so it's, I feel like it's, it's kind of an impossible task to take on. It's not really anybody's fault. Uh, but it's just really interesting to see where we're going to go from here on out. Have you um, but been, I do, I do wish the best of luck for everybody going to college and everyone trying to return back to normal life. Um, have you like? Are they making you COVID test? How many times a week? Um, so you, we're not doing COVID tests weekly, but we are monitoring our symptoms. Gotcha. They give us like thermometers mm-hmm. into a list of uh, symptoms to watch for. I'm assuming that's because COVID tests roughly without insurance go for about 120 dollars a piece. Oh. Which are you know pretty expensive when you're doing it to seven thousand students x amount of times per week. That cost runs up pretty quickly. Yeah. So I'm assuming they're trying to avoid that cost, which may be a detriment to them because you know the only reason we're on campus essentially is so the school to make a profit again. Yeah. And that would probably really cut into their profits. Um, the school announced publicly that they started cutting retirement funds to be mm-hmm. able to from teachers to be able to not fire them and lay off people and be able to keep upkeep the the cost of the school. So, you know, Villanova, and I assume most of the schools across the country are definitely struggling in terms of financial, uh, financially. Yeah. 
so that you know having tests weekly would probably cut into that, that budget that they have set forth, and they're trying to avoid it. But I think you know having those daily slash weekly tests would be a big help in limiting a larger outbreak. But again, it's just it's all a really complicated situation. You know, where do you draw the line between what hurts you financially versus what's the best for the safety of the students? Yeah. And at that point, if, if the school's not making money, let's be realistic here. Is there a point of having them them having kids on campus mm-hmm. or? or is really not, so they'd probably go online. So it's just, it's a really tough situation. I, I don't blame anybody, but um, other than that, I'm going to hand it up to Brian. Thank you guys for listening. If you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to leave it out my email at nicholaswarvitt10yahoo.com. Um, thank you guys for listening. I'm over to Brian. See you guys next week. All right, so my final words, I finished camp last week. Went Went pretty well. Nothing really happened major, so that's good. School starts for me September 2nd. Um, it is interesting. I go to NYU. So what NYU is doing, you really have a choice. They have stuff in person. They have online. I'm doing online because I do commute, so there's no reason for me to go into the city every day and take public transit. Uh, but for anyone that is on TikTok, which I am, um, there's this whole trend right now with NYU. with the, It's hashtag NYU food. They're having a lot of trouble giving kids who I assume are in quarantine uh, food because they don't want them coming out of their room. So they've been delivering. So like non-contact delivery and things like that. And some of the foods, food items they've been giving the kids are totally not what they ordered. Weird stuff. Um, Right now, what's trending is uh, these kids who pick the vegan option are getting literally like turkey sandwiches and ham salads and things like that obviously not vegan. Um, there's kids that just straight up aren't getting meals. So they have to like somehow survive on little snacks that NYU gave them for other meals and just try and survive till they get another meal because everything's delayed or they just forget to deliver food. Um, there's kids who, (laughs) there's this watermelon chicken salad thing that's been like a pretty popular thing to make fun of that NYU is giving these kids, which I've never heard of that. I assume it's an actual thing because you're just not going to make something random, but I don't know. It's a mess with NYU's food situation right now. And it is funny that my school is like trending on uh, TikTok for a bad thing, uh, not to mention that they increased tuition this uh, semester, which is great for the situation at hand. Um, I do understand why schools are increasing tuition to try and keep the doors open, things like that. But I don't think NYU is in need of extra money at this point. They charge enough. Um, that's really it for what I have to say. Uh, thank you to Max for joining us, even though he's not here. Um, he should be back on next week. So we'll be, next, ne- we'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this podcast. If you have any comments, you can DM us. Check out our videos on YouTube. Uh, there's a Damien Lillard video that I posted two days ago. Check that out. Check out our Instagram. Our TikTok is now back up and running. It had, for some reason, logged me out of the account, but I figured that out. So check that out. If you have any interest in writing for us, editing videos, any way you think you could help, contact the Sport Universe 2019 at gmail.com. And other than that, thanks for listening.